Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why the hell are the New York Giants in prime time again? How many times do I have to ask this question? As Why do I have to? Why do I have to? Why do they keep doing that? Why do they keep putting them on TV? As always, I'm fine if the Giants want to suck. If they want to embarrass a once proud organization on a weekly basis, that is their prerogative. But do it on your own time and do it far away from me. But when you do this in my living room, then we've got a problem. A national problem. Primetime games are supposed to be special. They're supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be competitive. They're not supposed to be a punishment or a kick in the package. Why are you punishing me? What are you punishing me for? I didn't do anything wrong. What did I do to deserve this? What did I do to have to endure another serving of the New York Giants on my TV? The hell am I being subjected to this clown show for on the regular? Why do you keep putting these people on? Are you thinking that they're going to improve? They're not. If anything, they're getting worse. All of them. All of it. Much worse. It's the exact same thing every single time. The Giants go out, they get on TV, and then they puke all over themselves. Daniel Jones looks bewildered by basic concepts. They lose, and then Joe Judge rolls in, talking all tough in his postgame about fixing it and talking ownership and discipline. It's like the worst movie ever. It's like the NFL version of Ishtar. No, even worse, it's like the NFL version of, I don't know, Space Jam 2. And we're forced to watch it over and over and over again. How many times are you going to make me watch this bad movie? Over and over and over and over and over. And that's exactly what happened last night. Remember when Bruce Arians said last week that we had a, quote, very dumb football team? Yeah, well, while the Bucks weren't perfect last night, in fact, they were far from it. They were better than the Giants. And if the Bucks were a very dumb team last week, then the Giants were deeply stupid last night. See, here's the thing about Tampa Bay. Here's the thing about the Bucks coming out of last night. I'm not even sure how good they are or aren't. I'm not even sure if they are good or not because the Giants are just that bad. They lost 30-10, to 10, and they were lucky or were lucky that that's all that was. If the Bucks actually executed and did not hand them a TD, that's a 45-3 to 3 game and probably worse because that's who the Giants are. Complete garbage. 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 But of course, this is not the way Joe Judge sees it. Old Joseph has everything under control. You know, we have to do everything better. Uh, we didn't do anything really well enough to win the game tonight. Can't make mistakes with turnovers, penalties, and mental errors. We've got to make sure we put our players in a better position through coaching. Got to make sure we actually we have the opportunity to make plays. I mean, is there anything more tired than that? How many times have we heard that speech? Every time. Every Sunday. It's the same exact speech. Yeah, I don't know. I really thought that the fight in training camp and making guys run laps and gassers was going to fix this entire thing. I really thought that all of that was going to make Daniel Jones the next Y.A. Tittle and Joe Judge the next Bill Parcells. I thought going ultimate meathead and lecturing everybody and talking down to everybody was going to make them a Super Bowl team. Shock of all shocks. They're 3-7 and seven and they're horrible to look at. It's the same crap every single time they're on TV. Dumb mistakes, bad execution, no discipline, and a quarterback who goes brain dead on a regular basis. And there's always some excuse. There's always some excuse. Last night, though, they had no excuse. They had Daniel Jones. They had Andrew Thomas. They had Saquon Barkley. They had their three first-round picks. They had it all. They had everything they were supposed to have, and it still sucked. All those first-round picks, all those free agent signings, 
on offense, and they managed exactly one TD, and it was on a five-yard drive. Saquon Barkley had 25 rushing yards against a Bucks defense that was missing Vita Vea. He had 31 receiving yards. He's gone over 100 total yards once in six games this year. Kenny Galladay, their big offseason signing was there, and he did nothing. I'm not going to say that that Kenny Galladay signing was a bad signing, but when your left tackle has more TDs than your big free agent wide receiver, then that's a problem. Man, and don't fall for this junk from the postgame that it's all on Jason Garrett. I know that Joe Judge was only too happy to run Garrett in front of that oncoming bus because it protects him. It makes him seem tough. This is not all on Garrett. Far be it for me to come in here and have to defend the clapper. The clapper. Right? I mean, that's the last thing I want to do. But this is not on the clapper. This is on the head coach. This is on the front office. This is on ownership. Jason Garrett is not the one out there drafting Daniel Jones. Jason Garrett is not the guy who threw this INT. Here's Daniel Jones. Just threw it right to the Buccaneers. Steve McClendon, the 12th year player. That's his first interception of his career. Man, that is so embarrassing. Jason Garrett did not do that. Daniel Jones did that. And I'm still not sure why he did that. Steve McClendon is in his 12th NFL season and did not have an INT until he saw Daniel Jones. And Jones split his numbers with that ball. McClendon has played 160 games. Not only has he not had an interception before last night, he had a total of three passes defensed. What I'm saying is, this guy did not have an interception and never even came close to it until Daniel Jones. Firing Jason Garrett is not going to make Daniel Jones better, and it's not going to make Joe Judge better, and it's not going to make Dave Gettleman better. Firing Jason Garrett is like changing the curtains on the Titanic. Think of the worst quarterback in the NFL. Think of the guy who has turnovers at an ungodly rate. Now think of Daniel Jones, because he is that guy. He leads the league in turnovers since he started playing, and he's got 10 wins in his last 35 starts. Remember when Baker Mayfield, and yes, I understand that Baker, he's got plenty of his own issues right about now, but remember when Baker Mayfield told GQ, quote, I cannot believe the Giants took Daniel Jones. It blows my mind. Some people overthink it. That's where people go wrong. They forget you've got to win, end of quote. And remember how much heat Baker took for that. Yeah, well, if you're one of those guys giving him that heat, you owe him an apology. Now, Baker, on the other hand, better start winning some games too. However, he's not wrong about Daniel Jones. Hear me out on this. Maybe taking Daniel Jones as high as they did was actually a terrible idea. Maybe crowning him as the savior after one single start was truly moronic. Just like maybe racing to hire Joe Judge before Mississippi State could get him was legitimately moronic too. This is the same guy who put up a basketball hoop outside the team facility and wait for the explanation from this rocket scientist as to why he did it. Quote, the reason I put it out there is it's getting colder. And you start talking about the skill players. You're trying to teach them to use fine motor skills through cold weather. So you take the gloves off and you put them out there when you have breaks during the day, during lunch, in between meetings. You tell them to go out there. It's really about more dribbling the basketball. If you tell them to just bounce the ball over and over and over, it gets boring. You throw a hoop in front of it. They're going to dribble the ball. They're going to train their hands, increase their fine motor skills, and shoot it. On a day like today, it's nice and brisk. When it really benefits them is in a few weeks when it gets cold and they get out there and they play and they chop it up about five minutes at a time. It's something I've used before for players when it gets cold. You start to get them using their hands in the cold weather to get used to the feeling. End of quote. Oh, dang. Check out Vince Lombardi. Check out Bill Parcells. WTF, I mean, like, is there anybody who buys this guy's crap at all anymore? Does anybody really think the problem with that team is the lack of, quote, fine motor skills of the skilled players in cold weather and that having them play basketball at lunch is going to fix that? Has anyone been thinking, man, 
if the G-men just played a little more basketball in the cold when they had five minutes at a time, they'd be better at football? But this dude continues to walk around like he's the baddest, smartest, toughest dude in the room. And his team is not smart, nor tough, nor disciplined. Firing Jason Garrett is not going to fix that. Just hit control, alt, delete on the entire organization. Put everything and everybody involved in a cardboard box, leave it on the curb, and then hang a sign around it that reads, if you can haul it, you can have it. Because the only way to improve this is to hit, set that whole damn thing on fire. And the last bleeping thing that I need, and for the last bleeping time, keep this clown show off my TV and out of my living room so I don't need to start another Tuesday with this same take again on this show. You're taking years off my life. And yes, I'm taking this personally. Stop putting that ass on my TV. I can't watch it anymore. I can't. I can't go over this again. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Malik Cunningham is my guest. Malik, good to have you on the show, man. How are you? How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Listen, really good to have you on. You're coming off one of the best performances in college football history. There's lots to talk about, but when I read those numbers back to you, 527 total yards, 7 TDs, and doing things that the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport have never done, what's your reaction? How does it feel to hear all of that? Uh, well, it's a blessing um, just to be here. Uh, it feels good to hear those numbers. I mean, uh, without supporting cast, uh, O-line and the running backs and the receivers, uh, none of that is possible. So I want to give thanks to those guys. All right, fair enough. But take me back to last week and your preparation prior to that game. I understand that you were not feeling that well during the week. So what was your preparation like, and did you have any idea you had that kind of a game in you? Um, I definitely knew I had that type of game in me. And um, the whole week uh, was, I was dealing with illness and sickness. And um, I just knew I had to suck it up for the team and uh, be a warrior and go out there and uh, do my best. And that's what I did. That's what you did. Malik Cunningham joining us. The thing that really impressed me, too, all five of the TD passes were to different players. What's it say about the talent around you that you can spread the ball around like that and have confidence that no matter who you throw it to, it's probably going to be a good result? Uh, that just goes back to the practice and preparation during the week. Uh, those guys make tr- uh, incredible catches throughout the week. And um, just coach always preaches you practice um, how you play, and um, they practice good all week, all those guys, and they can, and they, and, um, they helped on Thursday night. Now, the amazing thing about those numbers is after the game you were saying like you felt like you left some yards and some plays out there on the field. Kind of a wild thing to say when you're coming off one of the best games in the history of the sport. Were you being modest or did you really see room for improvement? And if so, where? Uh, yeah, um, if you go back to the game, we had uh, a post call and uh, kind of over uh, through the receiver by like four or five yards and that was one touchdown could have had back. But I think we scored on that drive, so I mean, I think that made up for it. All right, so in the second quarter, you had this 44-yard TD run and a 72-yard TD run. As you said after the game, I've been doing that since I was knee-high. I like that. Can you take me through it? The 72-yarder, you broke tackles, you changed speeds, you pretty much did everything. What do you remember about that play? Um, the play, that play, I remember it was, uh, I think it was a D lineman, uh, number 55. Uh, I think he was probably the closest player like to me before um before I scored that touchdown and I was just in my head just I just cannot let him catch me out of everybody on the on the field, not let him catch me. And once I seen uh, I looked back and he had slowed down and I, and I figured um I was gonna score that touchdown because he was the closest player. Louisville quarterback Willie Cunningham joining us. You also broke or you could have broken Lamar Jackson's single game rushing record, but you did not play the final twelve minutes of the game. I understand it's about the win. I understand you don't want to show anybody up, but is there any part of you that want to be out there to break even more records? Um, 
I mean, yeah, all that stuff is, is cool, but you know, they team player, that would have been an awesome record to break. Uh, I wish I could have broke it, but uh end of the day it's all about the team win. That's what we got. We got a good win. All right. Malik Cunningham joining us. Look, I know you don't want to make it about you, but let's talk about the team a little bit. You guys put up 41 on Syracuse, which was a season high. Then you broke that a few days later when you put up 62 at Duke. Does it feel like the offense is starting to click at just the right time? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, considering the games that we lost and uh, we make one or two plays on the offensive side, it's a different outcome in the game. And just putting together the last two weeks, been fun to watch, been fun to do, and uh, we got more work to do in the next two games. All right, so with that, with the win over Duke, you're now bowl eligible. I know that you've said that beating Mississippi State in the Music City Bowl is one of your favorite college football memories. So how does it feel to know that you're going to be headed back to another bowl game? Uh, it feels good to give those uh, seniors another uh, 60 minutes. Uh, football that's probably not promised to a lot of those guys, so it's good to have those uh, older heads around for another uh, couple weeks or so. And uh, we're going to uh, make sure they enjoy it. I like that, man. You got to take care of those old heads. You have to take care yeah. of the old heads. Now, the season got off to a 3-1 and one start, but then you guys hit that rough stretch in the middle. How were you guys able to turn it around the way you have? Uh, just um, the leaders on the team just uh, coming together and just making sure we keep everybody. The goal, is the main goal, which is to finish the season no matter no matter what happens in uh, mixed play mentality. And uh, that's what we did. And um it's been going good ever since. Malik Cunningham is joining me for a few more moments. We talked about Lamar. So Lamar had his jersey retired during the Syracuse game. I know the two of you go back quite a ways. What kind of an impact has Lamar had on you? And what have you learned from him over the years? Uh, he's had a, a big impact the first time I met him. Uh, very down to earth. Uh, you can go to him by anything. And just having a guy like him in your corner, considering what he's doing uh, in the NFL and for the young uh, for the young kids and uh, across the world, it's uh, always great to see. It's good to have him as a role model, and uh, yeah, he's doing good. Right, so obviously you've learned a lot from him, and he's a great, great leader. His teammates love him. You're one of the leaders on that team right now, and I know you've put in time in developing relationships with guys. So, like, what's your approach to being a leader? And then how much does it mean to you to be a leader of this group? Uh, it means a lot to have those guys uh, look up to you. Uh, a lot of those guys never seen um, players or been a part of a team where they had to be had to come in and not be that be that guy. So just uh, showing those young guys the way and um, just coming, coming in every day and just being a better person, it just means a lot to those guys and just show positivity around them. It takes, takes a long way with them. Right, and you also have put in a lot of time yourself. Like, you've already had a career year in rushing yardage and TDs, and you're about to put up a career high in passing yardage. So when you look at where you were when you first showed up on campus as a quarterback, how much have you grown since then? Uh, I made uh, great jumps uh, in a leadership role and in uh, as being a quarterback. And it just feels uh, so good to just know that what you what you come from and and how much work you put in. Uh, a lot of people don't really get to see that part. They just see the good part. They don't see the bad where things weren't going Things weren't going my way. You just had to put my head down and uh, just keep working. And uh, now it's finally paying off, which is good. All right, so I want to elaborate on that point. What we're talking about is the work you put in in the offseason, studying film, working on mechanics, staying in the pocket. You've cut down on turnovers this season in a really dramatic way. In fact, it's been a massive improvement. What's been the key in that regard? Uh, just not forcing the ball uh, down the field like I did uh, a year ago. Um, just checking the ball down, and um, when it's when it's running lane, just using my feet. And uh, that's what I've been doing this year, which has been working for us. Uh, so I got to keep it up the next two games. All right. So a couple of quick thoughts. I've always enjoyed my conversations with your head coach Scott Satterfield over the years. What's it been like to play for him? Uh, it's been great. Uh, coach Coach Sat came in in '19. And uh, led us to a bowl game, won that bowl game. And um, last year, we hit a little adversity. And he never gave up through all the talks about him leaving uh, after after the season and stuff like that. He stayed with us, stayed by our side, and, and been nothing but good to us. And so we uh, we love Coach for that. And uh, we're looking to um, finish these next two games off strong. All right, so last thought. I'm on the outside looking in, but I love that matchup. I love that rivalry. I love that matchup. You've got Kentucky Saturday for the Governor's Cup. The game was canceled last year due to COVID, and the Wildcats who won the previous two meetings. For people who do not know, how special is the rivalry, and how badly do you want to win this game on Saturday? Uh, this rivalry, uh, is, he was way past my time, uh, starting in 1998. 
and uh, it's been going on for a good good little minute. And uh, this means a lot to us and the team and the city. Uh, it's not the state of Kentucky. We're trying to turn it to the state of Louisville. So that's what we're going to try our best to um, bring the game out strong and uh, do what we do best. I like that. I love that matchup. Kentucky at Louisville, Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Malik Cunningham is coming off literally one of the greatest games a quarterback has ever had in that sport. Malik, great to have you on the show. Really good to talk to you. Good luck this weekend. Hope we can do it again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Hey, let me ask you this. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle you hate and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content does vary by package. Evidently, Bill Belichick would rather talk Thanksgiving grub than about his team's matchup with the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. Big game, right? Titans were 8-2, and two, looking like they could be the top seed overall in the AFC. Remember, the top seed is the only one that gets a bye now. The rules changed, so that means more than ever before. And then they get slammed by the Texans. So this is a big, big game. But don't expect the hood to break down the technicalities of that big, big game. Even if his Patriots are back atop the AFC East, even if his Patriots are playing their best ball since that nerd left town and won a ring, you see the hood, he can care less about any of that. He's not going to elaborate on anything important or anything relevant, even as he gets ready to square up against his former player and a guy who's turned out to be a damn good head coach in his own right, Mike Vrabel. However, the host of the Greg Hill Show was smart. He knows better than to get this guy going on something that he doesn't want to talk about because he won't get him going. However, he went in a different direction. You get this guy going on his favorite Thanksgiving dish, and then you better clear the hell out and let this guy do work. And that's exactly what the Greg Hill Show on WEEI did yesterday. Again, nothing in the entire interview on how they plan to attack the team with the best record in the AFC. But, and this was smart, Plenty on how the Hood plans on attacking his Thanksgiving feast on Thursday and what he plans to take away first. If there were only one side dish that were able to be on the table Thursday, what would you want it to be? Oh, boy. Well, it'd be hard for me to turn down any type of potatoes. So, you know, I'll go with whatever mashed potatoes, scalloped or, you know, baked or however they're made. But, yeah. Yeah, you bet. Twice baked. Yeah. Extra, extra <laughs> yeah. sour cream. Load them up. Load them up. Yeah. Load That's Wiggy's favorite. <laughs> little, little, maybe a little yeah. bacon, Bill? You bet. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Throw yeah. some butter on there. Yeah, just, you know, starch me up. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you again a week from today. Thanks, Bill. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Same to you and all your listeners. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy bleeping Thanksgiving hood. Did he just say starch me up? You know, starch me up. I mean, damn, dude. Did he really just say starch me up? Starch me up. This is incredible. This cat could have easily have given a generic throwaway answers, but clearly he loves him some taters. Oh, boy. Did he say, oh, boy, too? Oh, boy is right, mumbler. And move the hell over, Ron of Cincinnati. Do your job. No days off. Because you better damn make room at the feast of the hood phrases. The hood has popularized starch me up. Starch me up. Don't tell me there's not some deadbeat somewhere who's slamming that on a hat and a coffee mug and a moose, a mouse pad and anything else they can. A tea, 
and whatever. Starch me up, hood. Starch me up. This dude. I wonder who he tells that to when he puts his plate out for a serving. Steven? Uh, quit licking your face, son. Starch me up. Stop, 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 stop looking at your face. Pass me the spuds. I mean, from the sounds of it, I bet the hood does not even let Steven out of the basement for the annual Thanksgiving Day feast at the Belichick prison until he gets his spuds first. And that this guy loves starch should not surprise anybody at all. Like his defenses, he is open-minded and versatile with it, right? Options four days he can give you so many different looks think about it defensively what kind of a defensive genius is this guy he can give you every single look imaginable this is why quarterbacks young quarterbacks veteran quarterbacks hall of fame quarterbacks are so confused by this guy because there's every look imaginable of course he's all about the potatoes mashed scalloped au gratin baked Load it up. Throw some butter in there. Get some bacon bits in there. Sour cream. Whatever. Just starch the old man the hell up. Starch me up. Bacon too? Yes, please. This dude's obsession with starch is almost as bad as Ritz's love of sugar. And you know what? I can't hate. Who doesn't like spuds on Thanksgiving Day? Who doesn't want to get starched up? Man, the mumbler. All this guy ever does is mumble in pressers and interviews and any interaction whatsoever with the media about garbage and spitting cliches when it comes to football. But every so often, somebody will find a sweet spot on this mumbler and you've got this dude's heart, his mind and his heart. Clearly, potatoes and dogs are it, at least this season. Remember earlier this year when a Patriot beat writer, Evan Lazar, he had a dog, Atlas, sneak in and then steal the show on a Zoom call? Listen to how giddy the hood gets when he sees that dog. I wanted to ask you what your impressions are so far of Henry Anderson uh, this summer and, and just what you've seen out of Henry. Well, Henry's a you know smart player. It has a lot of experience, and uh, it's like get your buddy there. <laughs> Can we let, have him ask the next question, and then we get Nike to answer. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, listen to the hood, just getting nice about Atlas, asking questions, and saying that maybe they could get Nike Belichick to answer. This like, dude's downright giddy. It's like get your He's- buddy there. Listen to him. You can, you can hear the smile in his voice. It's like, get your buddy there. He's smiling. Can we let, have him ask the next question. He's enunciating. He's got unbelievable energy. This dude never looks or acts that happy, even after wins, even after winning the Super Bowl. Listen to how happy this guy is. It's like, it's get like, your buddy there. <laughs> hey, get your buddy there. Hey, you got a dog. Question. And then we get Nike to answer. You know what's better than a Lombardi? A dog. A dog. I mean, this dude is something else. This guy's incredible. You want to get this guy going? Ask him about a dog. A baked potato. Hash browns. Twice baked. A gratin. Ah, looky here. What do we got here? Old radio man is back. And what a shocker. He's got something to say about my love for the yam game. <laughs> hey, radio man. I heard you talk about a cheeseburger nonstop for three weeks. This and that about that cheeseburger in New York. Ah, You think I know defense? I know more about the starch game. Don't even get me started on tater tots, radio man. Oh, but you, you and that cheeseburger in New York, bitch. Yeah, you're going to take a run at me for taters and baked potatoes and hash browns, but all I hear about for three weeks is you and your cheeseburger. Uh, Okay, here's a word for that, radio man. Bitch. There's another word for that, radio man. Hypocrite. There's a third word for that, radio man. Bitch. What are you talking about, man? I told the organization 
to kiss the starch on my ass. All right, I'm moving to New England. Ah, <laughs> New York. Yeah, how about New York? How about New York and your hamburger? Right. I was in New York. I coached New York for a day. For a day. So what did I do? I told them to kiss the starch on my ass or my ass on my the starch. starch Whatever I told them, I told them. I was only there one day. Now look at me. Huh? What do you got to say about that, radio man? Six Super Bowls, bitch. And now they're starting Joe Flacco. Oh, oh, one more thing about you, radio man. You're taking a run at me for liking dogs. Oh, all right, so I got a dog. And he's got a dog. And like both those dogs, you're a cat guy, aren't you, radio man? Aren't you wise ass? That's what I thought. There's a word for you. There's a word they use to describe people like you, radio man. Bitch. It's like you got your buddy there. Hood, hood, hood. Easy. Easy, mumbler. I'm not hating. I'm appreciating. Seriously, nothing but love for you, hood man. I just wish you would engage us a little bit with this crazy football wisdom you have. And share. I know you have the same passion for football that you do taters. I know you have the same passion for football that you do dogs. I just want you to let us in. Let us in. That's it, Hood. That's it. I'm all about what you're doing. Listen, step off that. Step back for a minute. I am so appreciative of what you are doing. Pats fan, I am a believer in what the hell you're all about. And for everybody who buried... This potato-craving, dog-loving mumbler. You can kiss the starch on his ass. The Pats are good. They're damn good. They have ripped off five straight, and they have been dominating fools lately. And as always, he has them playing their best ball when it matters most. They have a power running game. They have a physical, smart, tenacious defense that plays a-hole ball. They've got a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones who is taking care of the football. Life is good within the Patriot Nation. And no offense, Titans fan, the way you looked against the pathetic Texans last Sunday, your best shot at beating the Mumblers' Pats might be if them potatoes put him in a Thanksgiving Day coma. Because right now, from the looks of things, you have no shot at beating these guys. They are playing really well. Starch me up. Starch me up. This dude. I'm telling you, this guy. Seriously, throw tots and dogs out there, and you have this 69-year-old mumbler's heart. And maybe you should have tried that more often, TB44. Hey, radio man. Are you trying to pass that off as a compliment? Hey, radio man, I bet I can eat more starch than that angry human... That angry human penis who calls your show from Buffalo and talks junk about me. What's his name? What's his name? Dick? Rick? Who is he? Hell, the way his Bills are playing, I'll bet you Sean's team beats him on Thursday. Why don't you eat some, Bills fan? All right, you too, radio man. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, Bill. I'm not hiding or twisting anything. I'm giving you nothing but respect. Nothing but respect for the way your team is playing right now. And if you could somehow... Chase TB44's ring with a ring of your own a year later with a rookie quarterback? That would be one of the most amazing things I have ever seen in my sporting life, honestly. And it's possible. It's possible. Don't get it twisted. I'm just looking for some of this passion and energy that you have for potatoes for football. I know you have it. Let us in. Let us in. Let us in. Dude, I'll walk Nike if you let us in. All right, let's get out really quickly. It's like you got your buddy there. Okay, he's downright giddy about potatoes and dogs. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, change up. Don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Here's why. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. On top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business, and they take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried-out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. That's who. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, 
teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy, all amazing and all different. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag. And look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Malcolm Smith is my guest. Malcolm, it is really good to have you on the show. How are you? Uh, I'm great, Jim. Great talking to you. Dude, it is great to talk to you. Now, I know your focus is already on the Ravens, but can you take me back to Sunday first? Late in the first quarter, the Lions were driving. You came up with a really big pick. Can you take me through the play? What did you see? Uh, DeAndre Swift was coming out the backfield. I know he's somebody they really liked in that situation. Um, an experienced quarterback. He was going to try and get on the ball if there was any uh, any uh, able or space to, and he kind of just overthrew it. I had my eye on it. I was ready to make the tackle, but, you know, he overthrew it, threw it a little high. I was able to get my hands on it. It was a hot potato, but um, critical, critical pick for us in the red zone. Critical pick, spoken like a vet. So after that pick, you ran, and you jumped in to celebrate with the fans. I've got to ask, what's it been like to play in Cleveland with the fans back in the building after having smaller crowds last season? How much of a lift and how much juice and energy do you get from the fans? Cleveland fans are awesome, man. They, they, they've, uh, they've been a little critical at times, but you know the support and the love is there. Um, it definitely hasn't been easy for them the past, what, 10, 15 years. So we try to give them something to cheer on, and uh, you know when we do that, they're, they're awesome. Malcolm Smith joining us. You know, you made the point that they've been critical. I'll double back to that in a minute. But you had other options in the offseason and other teams that were reportedly interested in you, but you did re-sign with the Browns. So what was it about Cleveland and this opportunity that made you want to stay? Uh, I just felt like, you know, we, we finished the year last year on a, on a solid note, um, and, we, and we had a great opportunity to come back and, the team that they built here is a great group of guys, and um, you know we try to play ball the right way and, and do things the right way in the building. And it's definitely different from the Cleveland of the past. Malcolm Smith joining us. So, what about the way this year is playing out, man? Nothing is easy. You know this. Nothing is easy. How do you feel about that decision right now? And how do you feel about this team and your prospects going forward? Kind of give me the state of the union for where the team's at right now. I mean, obviously, we'd love to have a, a much better record. Um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, this division is, is very competitive. And fortunately, for, for, in this division, everything is still up for grabs. Uh, you know, we're, I think, one game back as far as records go. And we got a great opportunity against Baltimore in our next two games, back-to-back for us, um, playing them. So a great eight quarters will put us in a great position. And even still, it's going to be down to the wire like it usually is in this division. Malcolm Smith is joining us. You know, in terms of that pick, the offense then takes the ball, goes 84 yards for a TD. How big was it to get that turnover in the red zone and then see the offense convert that into points? Absolutely. Anytime you get a turnover, you, you know, you, you want to get a touchdown. You're, you're uh, expecting at least, you know, a, um, a field goal. So we got to create points. That's just playing team ball, and that's something that, you know, we have to do to get to where we want to go. It's got to be... Uh, complimentary on all sides, special teams, defense, offense, and working together. So hopefully this week will give us that opportunity to do that against a great team. Malcolm, one thing about your job, I think that people know, they know about your ability in pass coverage. What does it take to lay it out? What's it take to be a great linebacker in pass coverage in that league? Uh, just For me, it's just been about understanding spacing on the field, um, who the threats are on the other side, the timing of, of, of routes and um, just being aware. So it's taking, it's definitely taking time. And as the lead changes, you know, there's always a wrinkle and, and people show new stuff every week. But um, having a real process from, the, from pre-snap on um, has given me a good opportunity to, to find some success. We're talking to Malcolm Smith. There's so much that goes into it, right? Like back in the offseason, you made the point that the game is definitely going younger, and the question becomes, quote, do you want to stay ready? It's how far do I want to go? And I think for me, it's just about being happy, going out there and enjoying every step of the way. I think if you look too far in the future, it can be daunting. It's not as fun. Like, Malcolm, it seems to me like that works for life. I think if we all looked at life that way, we'd all be better off. Kind of break that approach down for me about not getting too far ahead or you can get overwhelmed and it can be too daunting. Yeah, right. You think, you think about all the, thing, the bad things that could happen when you, you look too far in the future. Um, and then you really miss what's next to you, what's, what's in front of you, uh, whoever your friends are, your family, whatever you love to do. 
Um, so for me, while my body's still able and capable, um, I love playing this game. I love sharing my experiences with my teammates, um, and I hope that they appreciate having me around and, and I bring the, a certain level of energy and juice and also the understanding that, you know, you get older, it doesn't last forever, so let's appreciate it while we have it. I think there's something to that, right? And then as I mentioned off the top, you were the 242nd pick back in 2011. Guys who get selected in that spot frequently do not even play one season, let alone double-digit seasons. What's it mean to you to still be competing at a high level at this point in your career? Uh, it's definitely humbling. Um, I'm fortunate. I've been a part of some some great groups and great teams, and um, been able to find my way, and hopefully, you know, a lot of things that I've learned over the over the years can apply to whatever's next in life. Um, but I've had a great journey; it's been awesome. Uh, and it, yeah, being being picked that late, you know, you, you got to be humble, you got to work hard, you got to be diligent, you got to pick up on every little thing that you can. Otherwise, your uh, your stay won't be long. Talking to Malcolm Smith for a few more moments. So when you stay as long as you have, I'm curious about your approach. Like, in terms of taking care of your body and recovery, is it at this point in your life and your career, is it about working as hard as ever, or is it about working smarter than ever? Uh, it's, it's definitely working smarter. I mean, I'm still working hard, trying to do both. But it's um, just being a lot more conscious about what I'm eating, how am I spending my time, am I recovering, um, you know, I've, I've drawn a lot of inspiration from, you know, older guys that are playing still at a high level, Ron James, Tom Brady, any interview they have, I'm trying to soak it up. Um, any guys that play a long time in this league, I'm trying to pick their brains and see how they survive. So the eating has changed. Uh, my habits off the field have changed quite a bit. So, um, hopefully, you know, it just continues to provide a little bit of longevity. Right, so I'm kind of an old guy trying to change up too. Like, how have you changed nutrition? Like, how what's different about the way you eat, and what are some of the changes you've made off the field? I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for sweets, so I'm definitely yeah, me too, those man. To, me too, dude. Once a week, it, it's it's hard because you know chocolate can be just as addicting as any other thing. Um, so I try to stay away from the the, the super sugary stuff, and also a lot of animal fat. I'm not, I don't eat as much now. Um, so it's changed a lot, and I'm trying to find happiness in the vegetables and tofu and fish and all that stuff. Hey, have you? <laughs> it, dude, is there happiness in tofu? Is there happiness in vegetables? Talk once to me. Once you feel good, once you once you feel good, and it's working for you, it's really hard to think about going back and not feeling um, your best. Like I, I feel like I recover as good as I did when I was young because I was stuffing myself with trash all the time. Um, so now I'm eating cleaner. I recover faster. I feel better. Um, I sleep more. I was just going to say, dude, I was just going to say, let me, sorry to interrupt. I bet you sleep better too, right? Oh yeah. I, I, I got to get my eight hours sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm asleep before my kids. Um, and obviously the hydration stuff. So a lot of that is from the Tom Brady's and LeBron's as much as I can get from them. And, um, just being eager to find, find stuff that'll help. Not only that, but what about, I know you were at a Warriors-Cavs game recently. What do you make of what you saw from Steph Curry and the Warriors? Man, that was, that was, that was the main reason I was there, to just, uh, just be inspired by his conditioning, his approach. Um, you can just tell he's so regimented the way he runs around the court. He's coming off screens. The guy that's defending him has to be in better shape or he has no chance because he has to react to everything that Steph is doing. So he knows when to conserve. He knows when to go hard. Um, and if you give him space, he'll crush you. So that was inspiring. It's always uh, awesome to see great players like that. All right, so Malcolm, let me ask you before you go, since we've set this thing up, this is I have such respect for the respect that you have for other guys, not only in your sport but other sports, which brings me to your guy, Baker Mayfield. He's playing through some injuries. Like I don't know exactly what he's dealing with, only with what's been reported, but clearly the guy's out there, and he's battling, and he's grinding. He struggled on Sunday. There were some boos that I have to guess were directed at him. What is your reaction when you hear the fans boo him specifically? I mean, it hurts because you know, he's obviously laying everything he has out for the city of Cleveland um, and trying to put his team to where we need to be. So I think it's uh, it's probably not directed in the right way. I mean, I could understand their frustration. They want us to you know, play to our talent level. Um, but the reality is that the NFL is very difficult and injuries are a huge part of it. 
Um, I commend him for, for definitely battling through and he's trying to give our team the best shot to win. And uh, as long as, you know, that's the top of mind, I respect it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, where do you come out personally? Does it feel to you like, hey, listen, this guy's out there doing everything he possibly can, putting himself out there. Do you have any issue with anything he's done or said and the way he's approached it personally? No, because at the end of the day, I think that uh, for us to be successful, he's, you know, he's he's got to be successful and he's going to be at the helm of us doing things. As, as much as I love Case Keenum, um, it, it's pretty clear that, you know, it's Baker's team as far as the organization goes and, um, you know, when we all signed up, we expected him to be our quarterback. So we're going to ride with him. And I, and, I, and I appreciate the effort that he puts in, the time he puts in the training room just to get out there on the practice field or in the games is um, a lot. So got to respect it. Listen, I appreciate your candor on that. One last thought. And because I only kept you this long because you and I – hey, Malcolm, have you and I ever actually spoken? Have you ever been on this show before? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I have. I, yeah, yeah, I have. Because I'm looking at the records, I thought so too, but for some reason I don't have records of it. I don't, maybe somebody came in here when I wasn't here and deleted that stuff. I don't know, man. It didn't seem right. That's why I'm not letting you go because I'm like, I've been waiting a long time for this, but I think, I think you're right. I think we had to have at some point. But before you go, you played your ball at USC. I've always said this. SC players always show up a certain way on this show, and I mean that in the best way possible. Always show up in great ways on the program. When you look at the program right now, what kind of thoughts do you have? And do you have any kind of feeling about who you might want to be the head coach of that team? Um, it hurts. It hurts to see uh, Ohio State's quarterback come from Rancho Cucamonga and um, the, the quarterback at Alabama be from Southern California. It just it just hurts to see guys come right through our backyard and um, not play for us. And so – I, I, I'm, I don't know about who specifically, but I know I know it's got to be a person who uh, has a ton of respect in, in football circles. I think it needs to be somebody who communicates well and obviously can help guys get to the next level. I mean, the rest of USC University speaks for itself, the location, all that. So I think if we get a person like that with the football knowledge and the ability to relate to young young players, I, I think we'll be okay. Guys, not the truth, right? You can't. It's got to hurt so much to see guys. I mean, it's with all the talent in our or your backyard to see them go other places, man. That's the worst thing about it. Right, right, yeah. I, I, I just, it's crazy that someone would want to go so far when you, you have such a great opportunity at home, but it obviously hasn't been like that for the guys. And I understand, you know, there's, there's some great programs out there, and if you want to be an NFL player, you want to go to where the premier program is, and that's why I went to USC at the time, and we need to get back to that point. I appreciate that. A Super Bowl champ, a Super Bowl MVP, played his college ball at USC and was drafted way back in 2011, a linebacker for the Browns. Malcolm, I appreciate you very much. I appreciate that conversation very much. That was really great. Thanks so much for doing that. Awesome, Jim. Always. I love my X chair. It is by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair that I've ever used. And honestly, it is probably the coolest looking piece of furniture I own. Fact. So what makes the X-Chair the world's best office chair? Maybe it's the patented dynamic variable lumbar support or the fact that you can add LMAX technology with four massage options and the ability to warm or cool your back. That chair can do all those things. No other chair can. So now is the perfect time to purchase an X-Chair. So why right now? Because right now is the only time that X-Chair goes on sale all year. That's right. Only on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Come on. You deserve the X-Chair. And you're going to kick yourself if you miss this special deal. Save up to $500 on X-Chair Four days only on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X chair, R-O-M-E.com. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 25 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com and save up to $500. xchairrome.com. All right, so really quickly, let's give this a shot here. Alvin. Before I go to this guy and find out whether or not it is this guy, I mentioned there was somebody on hold that everybody would be really eager to hear from. This, this guy is an absolute legend. He made this call. Let's go to Orlando. Hi, who's this? Romy, they call me the chicken man. Really? Why? 
I have been on a bit of a healthy kick as of late, and all I do is eat chicken for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I am practically bringing these poor fowls to the brink of extinction, not to mention the fact that the chicks love me, and I have a big rooster. Legendary phone call, right? So why, if in fact it is the guy, the chicken man, Steven, in Orlando, why would this guy be calling back? I hope it's him. I got to find out. We go to the phones. Steven, dude, is it really you or are you messing with us? I am him, Jim. Uh, I'm just calling up with some beef here. I know that these are uh, typically reserved uh, for Wednesdays, uh, so I'm here to talk chicken. Uh, now, I know better than to call the greatest talk show in the history of sports to question uh, the pimp in the box's judgment and that of the uh, sound wizard Alvin Deloro, but how the heck are we not going to have me, the chicken man, on a self-gloss reel because of some technicality? Is it really a self-gloss reel if you don't have the best to ever do it on it? What kind of bleep is that? What are we doing? This is truly a travesty of the highest order, Jim. Uh, give me back my gloss and don't be a silly rabbit, Alvy. You already have enough rabbit tendencies as it is if you catch my drift. And do me a favor, Jim, and leave Matt in L.A. on hold indefinitely. There's a toilet somewhere in need, and we don't need to take him away from his duties. Uh, war the flight deck, James Kelly and Big Head Bats, always a staunch supporter, and unwar bad decisions. Holy crap, that was incredible. That was incredible. The chicken man. All right, just so you understand what just happened right there. Okay, first of all, what just happened right there was awesome. Just happened right there. That was an amazing telephone call. And there are a couple of things that he said that I think are not getting the credit they deserve. Especially that crack about you, Alvin, and the rabbit hole. All right, so what he was doing, the chicken man is upset that he does not get to be a part of the self-gloss montage. He wants to be grouped in with everybody else, which I respect. Like, he's all about team. He's not setting himself apart from the group. He's like, it's not right. This might be the greatest sports talk show ever, and Alvin might be the best sound engineer ever, but why am I being kept out on a technicality? Well, because the technicality is, yes, you violated the rule, but it was not a violation the day you did it, chicken man. Bagok! All right, again, this is this might be confusing to you. Really quickly, you're not allowed to self-gloss on this show. You can't come in and tell me what your nickname is. You don't have a nickname. You only have a nickname on this show if it was generated by the show, and I don't care how long you've had that moniker or that handle. If it happened outside of the airwaves here, it doesn't matter to us here. It's not relevant. Even if you are the chicken man and you're awesome and you got a big rooster, bagok! So he does that. He self-glossed. That's not allowable, even though it's the best self-gloss. But it is allowable because he did it on a day where I allowed it. I allowed it once. But he wants in. Alvin, really quickly, he wants to be grouped with the rest of these people. Levi the Trash Man. Trash Man. Loney Carter in Spokane. The Axe. Bighorn Falling Boss. Jay Dizzle. Manny Cheeseburger over here. Shakala is in Van City. Lone Prophet. The Grump. The Grouch. Moldoggy in NorCal. The Duggler. Zookeeper. Roaster. Garbage Man, Brad. The Cracker Jack. G-Money. Sexy Rexy from New Mexico. The Red Dog. Horse Monkey Tree Frog. G-Money. V-Man. S-D. Bow down. V-Man. Cotton Woman. His Silly Rabbit. Barracuda. The Muscle Shark. Denver John. The Horse Whisperer. Main man here. The bread man. Playing the bartender. Tombo. Smokehouse. Tombo Ed. I'm a desert dog. They call me T-Rush. Just the funk ward needs to check in with the pimp in the box. Ah! Okay, my man. I was thinking about that. I came to a decision while I ran that back out there. Chicken man. Bad news, good news. Bagok! Bad news is... Request to be grouped with the rest and part of the montage denied good news depends on your priorities but I may have something better for you my man you just got yourself a golden ticket I've got a golden you're ticket. in the smack off chicken man I've got a golden ticket. 
goes to show this dude is way more than just good self-gloss. And again, you can have great self-gloss, and he does, but it's still not allowed. This guy obviously is way better than just self-gloss, and even way better than self-gloss with a line or two. That was a great call, Ben Golliver. Ben, it is great to have you back. How are you, Ben? I'm doing very well, Jim. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Great to have you. All right, so let's go back to Sunday night and the Lakers-Pistons game. Ben, when you saw LeBron James hit Isaiah Stewart in the face, what was your initial reaction? For instance, LeBron does not have a rep as a dirty player, but was that a dirty play? You know, I think the refs got it right all around. Isaiah Stewart fouled him to kind of trigger his response. His response was definitely reckless. I don't think he intentionally tried to hit Isaiah Stewart in the face, but he's swinging his arm in a way that could lead to something bad happening. And I thought that warranted the ejection. I thought it warranted the first suspension of LeBron's 19-year career. And then the aftermath, obviously, Isaiah Stewart's tasting his own blood. You know, he's, he's freaking out, and he deserved to get suspended for at least two games. I thought he might even have gotten off a little easy in that situation. But to me, you got to step back and look at this Lakers season. It's been very frustrating for LeBron James. When he was out injured uh, going back like a week or two, you could just sense his restless energy, uh, Jim. You know, he's going over there talking to celebrities, like personally greeting them uh, courtside. He's walking all the way out to center court to argue with officials. In a couple games when they've been getting blown out at home, he's even left the bench early midway through the fourth quarter to go back towards the locker room area, not staying around to the final buzzer. You could just sense that uh, you know he's a little bit anxious this season because it hasn't gone so well for L.A. And then on the court, it's been frustrating, too. I mean, he's not getting the calls that he typically expects. You know, free throws across the league are way down this season. LeBron's been a part of that trend. He's really relying heavily on his jumper. He's not getting to the basket as much as he used to. And so you're seeing all these teams challenging him. And I think Detroit's just the most recent team to challenge LeBron and the Lakers. I think these teams around the league smell blood. Hmm. Ben Golver is joining us. So when you see the Lakers come back and they beat the Pistons on Sunday without LeBron, they're 9-9 and on the season. You kind of laid out exactly what they're dealing with. The story goes that at the end of the third quarter, with the Lakers down 15, Ben, Carmelo Anthony told everybody, quote, this is where we figure out who we are as a team, end of quote. I mean, is it possible they found something in that fourth quarter that can carry over going forward, or is that just a pipe dream? Well, I just want to know, why does it take a brouhaha with a team that's won four games all season with Detroit that you know has been a mess for a lot of this year? Why does that have to be the spark to wake you up? I mean, this team... Um, has been you know, sleepwalking at times, not playing very hard on defense. Anthony Davis has been frustrated on that, and all season long, certainly Frank Vogel has been frustrated on the defensive end and trying to juggle lineups to find the right combinations. I loved what I saw in the immediate aftermath of that, uh, of that melee, right? you got Anthony Davis. I mean, he's angry at certain points, getting great block shots late in that game, closing it out. Russell Westbrook is you know, playing you know, fast and playing in control and, and really helping close that game as well. But I think that it takes more than just one immediate hit of anger uh, or excitement after a big fight to carry you through a long season. And I think the concerns the Lakers face coming in this year were age-related and fit-related and health-related, right? And so far, they've been incredibly injured. Guys have been in and out of the lineup constantly. And that starts with LeBron, Jim. You know, he had better than 90% availability during his first stint in Cleveland, his stint in Miami, and then his second stint in Cleveland. In L.A., it's been at 72%. That's a big difference in terms of how many games he's been available for the Lakers over these last four years, and they're a totally different team without him. Frankly, to me, they look like a lottery team when LeBron's not on the court, and that's why his health is so important. But the age stuff is absolutely a major discussion point um, for the Lakers. They need LeBron to get back to that level of being a top-five type guy in the league, someone who can completely dominate and control the action. And so far through the first month of this season, he hasn't been that guy in part because of injuries, in part because he's still trying to figure out how to play with Russell Westbrook. That's a really strong statement that without him, they look like a lottery team. And I'm not going to argue with you either. Ben Galbraith joining us. Ben, you spoke with Dwayne Wade recently. What did he tell you about the wear and tear that comes in the later years of an NBA career that can be applied to LeBron? Well, the first thing he said is he almost retired in 2015, which is like a long time ago. You know, it was right after the four title runs, uh, or the four finals runs, I should say, that that ended up with two titles. Um, So that tells you how long he was dealing with nagging injuries. But his major takeaway was this. 
the durability goes away before the skill level does. In other words, your ability to just operate on a night-to-night basis over the course of a full 82-game season, that takes a lot of management as you get older, and it did for him. And there was you know, a lot of points late in his career where he felt like he could still go out there maybe for one game, maybe for a stretch of multiple games, or maybe even for a good chunk of the season and still be playing at an all-star level uh, you know, like he did during his prime. And you know, he, he cherishes this game-winning shot he hit in his last year for the Miami Heat against the Golden State Warriors as one of those moments where he got to throw back the clock and feel like he was the young Dwayne Wade, right? But the ability to get your body in position to do that night after night, it just takes a mental toll, and it winds up taking lots and lots of time. And he said basically with the knick-knack injuries, that's when it starts. When you start to build up those knick-knack injuries, you know you're headed for something worse. And I think that's the concern right now with LeBron James is there's been a number of knick-knack injuries here over these last couple of years. You know, the one year he was healthy in L.A., they won the championship. The other years, he's been, uh, you know, hurt on and off, and that's impacted their seasons. The first year in L.A., they missed the playoffs. Last season, they have to go to the play-in, and they lose in the first round. And this year, right now, they're in the middle of the standings, and there's no guarantee they're going to make a deep playoff run this year unless, again, LeBron can really turn it on. Ben Golver is joining us. All right, Ben, let me ask you about Golden State. They've got the best record in the league right now. They're playing extremely well on both ends. How do you explain how far this team has come since the struggles of early last season? Well, uh, I think, first of all, they fixed some of their rotation issues. I mean, a guy like Kelly Oubre just didn't fit last year. They brought in some pieces that fit a lot better. I think the easiest explanation, though, is Steph Curry's just playing out of his mind, and Draymond has really stepped up his effort and intensity level. I think he made a comment recently that maybe his young kids don't realize how good of a player he was because the last couple seasons didn't go so well for him. Right now, he's the defensive player of the year leader, in my mind, and Steph Curry's the MVP leader. I just look at their vibes. I mean, it was evident from very early in the preseason or even opening night against the Lakers where this team just buys in, they believe in each other, and they play system basketball. And I want to go back to the rule changes because you're seeing a lot of the scoring leaders uh, from past years, guys who score a lot in isolation, they're not getting as many foul calls, and they're they're especially not getting as many foul calls on three-point shots. It's really brought scoring down league-wide, and it's impacted guys' uh, averages. You know, a player like Steph Curry basically hasn't been impacted, right? He's still, you know, among the scoring leaders this season. He's shooting three-pointers at an insane rate. He's about to pass Ray Allen for the all-time lead in three-pointers made for a career. And he's been able to just do what he does because he plays within an offensive system rather than just being that isolation scorer. So I think the rule changes have actually played to Golden State's benefit. It's funny. I I didn't see them as a top-tier contender coming into this season I changed my tune real quick in the early going. And I think right now the only team that's played as consistent as Golden State on offense and defense throughout this season has been the Phoenix Suns. Those two teams are a cut above everybody else in the league, and I really didn't see that coming. Mm, Ben Golver joining us. All right, Ben, what about the Nets? As an example, Golden State thrashed them last week, but Brooklyn has won three in a row since then. Where are they right now as a team? Well, they're waiting for Kyrie still, right? I mean, isn't that pretty much what it boils down to? You know, we've seen them gut out a lot of close victories. Kevin Durant has been in that MVP conversation as well, playing spectacularly. I know everybody loves the pile on James Harden. He did start slow, but he started to come on a little bit here over the last couple of weeks. But their offense is really just neutered compared to last year. I mean, last year they were basically unstoppable. And this year without Kyrie Irving, even though they've got some pieces to kind of, you know, plug in the gaps and they're getting, you know, helpful minutes from guys like Patty Mills, it's just not the same as having three superstar level guys on the court at the same time, right? And so uh, I think if they really want to reach their true potential, they're going to need to find some way to get Kyrie Irving back on the court. And the crazy thing is, Jim, you know, we haven't heard from him in a month. And I remember his statement was, you know, I want to be a voice for the voiceless, something along those lines. And, you know, he has actually himself been voiceless here over the last month. I mean, basically, uh, you know, radio silent in terms of what his season's going to look like. So I give Kevin Durant a lot of credit and actually Steve Nash a lot of credit, too, for keeping that team together, for not letting Kyrie Irving's absence kind of splinter them or break them apart, for keeping them in this title mix. Uh, but I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to win the championship this year if it's just, you know, a KD and Harden uh, and the role guys. I think they need Kyrie to do it. You know, Ben, I don't get caught up in this stuff generally, but did you were you watching last night on Twitter and did it feel like KD was about to implode once again? <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I, KD just likes to tra- 
trash talk to him. That's part of the problem. He views Twitter like he's at the at the park, you know, where he's just like talking with his buddies. It just so happens that his buddies on Twitter happen to be like 20 million people or whatever the follower count is. So I think it's easy to kind of take things out of context with Kevin Durant. I don't worry about the sideshow when it comes to him. I just appreciate the absolute mastery. I mean, the guy can get his shot against any team, against any defensive scheme, double teams, triple teams, good luck. And, you know, the real sign, uh, you know, of, of skill is when things go wrong around you, you step up. That's exactly what happened in last year's playoffs. Kyrie goes down. James Harden's playing on one leg. Kevin Durant turns in maybe the best series of his entire life in a losing effort against Milwaukee, right? He comes back this season. Kyrie completely betrays him. You know, those guys want to go to Brooklyn together, and then all of a sudden Kyrie doesn't show up. And Kevin Durant says, all right, well, I'm going to lead the Nets right back to the top of the Eastern Conference standings without you. I think it's impressive. I'm more worried about those kinds of accomplishments than, you know, whatever jokes about lotion or whatever is going on on the Internet. He does get it done, man. He is still unguardable, and you're right. He can always get his shot whenever he needs it, whenever he wants it. It is fair and pretty sensitive on the Internet. And there were lots of lotion jokes last night. Hey, Ben, really quickly, Sacramento fired Luke Walton over the weekend. As it turns out, his final game was delayed by 10 minutes in the fourth quarter when a fan puked on the floor. What do you make of Sacramento's decision to fire Luke? Well, it was predictable. I mean, before the season, he was the most obvious guy on the NBA coaching hot seat. Uh, It never really seemed like he connected with that group. And I think a big issue was their star wasn't playing very well. I mean, Darren Fox is kind of their max-level guy who they want to build around, and his numbers are way down from last season. And I think, you know, in general, uh, you know, when ownership is looking like, is this thing going well, is this not going well, and, and your, your prize uh, player is underperforming, then people start to want to blame the coach for that, maybe then rather, blame, uh, rather than blaming the player. Uh, you know, their defense has still been bad, although it was improved from last season. To me, they're just stuck. I mean, I don't see an easy solution. I hear from Kings fans a lot. They're like, how can we fix this thing? What trade can we make? Can we go get Ben Simmons? And it is so hard to undo, you know, 15 or 16 years of missing the playoffs when, when it comes to your reputation, especially when you're in a small market. So I don't see a quick fix. I don't think Luke Walton was uh, the, the problem. But at the same time, you know, I, clearly he wasn't the answer in Sacramento either. All right, so one last thought. Go back to Dwayne Wade really quickly, your conversation with him. What's your sense, Ben, as to where he is in his life now that he's no longer playing? Well, you know, Dwayne Wade has a lot going on. I would just say that. I mean, he's hosting television shows. He's a, a, a minority owner of the Utah Jazz. He's been trying to, uh, you know, develop his son who just got recently drafted in the, the G League. He just seems so at peace in retirement. And he just, you know, I was talking to him because he has this book coming out. And just to contrast Dwayne Wade with Scottie Pippen, right? I mean, you saw all this reckless, crazy stuff that Scottie Pippen has been saying about Michael Jordan. I mean, it's clear he's got some deep-seated anger and resentment. And, and, I, and who knows what else uh, towards MJ after all those great years together. And you, you listen to that on one hand, and then you see what Dwayne Wade says, and it's like, He's just so at peace. He understands exactly where he stands in the NBA's pantheon. He's like, look, you know, guys like uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, you know, they're above me in the pantheon of all-time greats. But, you know, I'm right there after those guys. And he just has a very clear sense of uh, who he is, and he seems very ha- happy in his, uh, his home life as well. And that's nice to see. It's a very difficult transition for players to make. He's, he's done great as a commentator as well on television, and you just wish, you know, maybe Dwayne Wade could, like, sit Scottie Pippen down and tell him to chill out and get him back on the right track here. My man, a national NBA writer for the Washington Post, host of Greatest of All Talk, an NBA show. He is the author of Bubble Ball, an excellent book. It's out right now. Good friend of the program. He is Ben Golver. Ben, really appreciate the visit, as always. Extremely well done. Thanks for doing that, Ben. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my it's my pleasure. Hey, real quick request, Jim. I need yep. to cash in all my jungle karma. I need a win for University of Michigan against Ohio State Saturday. I know that's a big request, but hopefully, uh, hopefully the clones have my back. We need this one, man. All right, Ben. Appreciate you. I don't know that I can sign off on that one. Good night.